0: Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, I'm your host and coach Tyler Johnson, thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review, and if you dig this episode, give us a like or share, and now whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is the CEO of XL Sports. He is a renowned TEDx speaker. His latest talk, A New Way to Win Redefining the Student Athlete Experience, has over 4 million views. And his other TEDx talk, Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life, is another fantastic one. He is the co author of The Coaching Effect, which is a fantastic book I highly recommend. Those things are linked up here. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Bill Ekstrom. Bill, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you, Tyler? I'm excellent.
0: I am well and excited to have you join us. I recently read your book, The The Coaching Effect, uh, full of so many great things, I think, this podcast for athletes and coaches uh, to take from it. Um, But first, could you kind of maybe, when people hear those two words, can you kind of explain what The Coaching Effect is?
1: (laughs) I can. I can. The coaching effect is really understanding the impact leaders or coaches have on the growth and performance of their teams. You know, work understanding that effect um, began years ago. Working just you know at at that time in the business, just owning the business and. You know, our work has gone from um, businesses to uh, athletics to education because what our research shows is that nothing has a bigger impact on the growth and performance of individuals and teams than their coach. Now, we even use the term coach in business, but of course, in the world of sports and a teacher in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So it is understanding that effect, quantifying that effect, and then helping them improve that effect.
0: It, it, you pull so much great research into the book, uh, and I think I like. There's one example that uh, you're like, "Well, which company?" And it was the same company <laughs> after going through, uh, going through, and and you know instilling some of the things that you guys help organizations do. So. Um, and we're going to talk about a few of those. But there was something I remember I, I underlined and went back and I wanted to pull out because I thought it was it made, me oh, no. <laughs> it made me think Made me think as a coach and as we manage people. Um, and just as you kind of unpacked with the coaching effect, but it was, uh, you know, if your people can still do their jobs without you, the value you bring to them and to your organization is measured by how much better they will do their jobs with you as their manager or coach. And I think sometimes in coaching and sports worlds, especially as you move up to college and pros, it's so easy to change the people than, than change the culture. Sometimes, uh, can you talk a little bit about that that statement and, and maybe some of the things you guys measure to to show coaches the difference? I think sometimes coaches are how am I how can I measure I'm making a difference?
1: Yeah, well so if it depends really what what the outcome is but but let's back up there's a lot to yeah. unpack Shit. here tyler <laughs> um if it's we look at coaching in a couple different ways you know number one as it relates to both um the business world as well as the athletic world or even the education world um how much discretionary effort does a coach receive or take away from their athletes? In other words, the athletes without a coach will perform at a certain level. How much higher of a level will they perform with that coach? Or quite frankly, a lesser level with that coach. And we've seen it... um, especially in in the business realm, and we know what applies to the athletic realm too, that there are certain teams, both athletically as well as business, that will perform at higher levels if they didn't have a coach or a manager or a leader. That they're so poor in that role, they're actually inhibiting performance or growth. So we look at a coach's impact on, again, I'll use that term discretionary effort. How much more effort do I give to you because you're my coach? How how much more engagement? Will I come to practice a little early way, stay a little late? Will I lean a little harder into my team and helping a teammate? You know, all these things um, produce an outcome. In athletics, typically it's measured by wins and losses. What I would like that narrative, especially as it relates to student athletes to change is to the experience they're providing. Now, one of the things we know is typically, the more they win, they have a greater, a lot of times greater experience. But to understand that, to understand the impact, the effect, the discretionary effort that coaches are providing, it's uh, we boil it down from our research and do what we review and research are six themes. And those themes are a coach's ability to challenge, to develop the skill set of their athletes, their ability to communicate, their ability to connect, to create a psychologically safe environment, and um, the structure that they provide for their student athletes. Okay. So though it's those six themes that we measure and quantify and then feed back to athletic directors and coaches to help them understand how effective they are because those six things roll up to an overall experience that a student athlete has.
0: I think one of the, when you work with organizations, I know and you dive into the, in the book a little bit, and I think it's so, often overlooked at least with a lot of education and school teams that I've had experience with is is how simple yet powerful surveying can be (laughs) Uh, and and I think it's just I mean I've done it with teams and you tell coaches stuff that you know they're like how'd you figure that out I'm like I gave him a survey and he told me (laughs) they you know the, the, the there's can you talk why just you know implementing surveying and tactics like that of constantly getting feedback from all the different constituents on your team or in your organization is just something we shouldn't overlook and take stock.
1: Yeah. Thank you, uh, Tyler, because you're right. It, um, people ask all the time, well, you know, how do you, how do you research? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but the most effective way to understand the experience a student-athlete is having with that coach is to survey him. And I know it's kind of interesting. People say, well, then I'll create my own survey. Well, You you, you probably can't do that unless you have a master's in research methodology and a sociology. You're probably, you know, people that develop or do their own surveys are probably screwing it up more than they are uh, making decisions on accurate answers. Your
0: bias is going to show up too much. Right? I oh, mean, I mean, bias! I, just,
1: I mean, uh, the way you word questions, uh, just the overall science of survey methodology. You know, yeah. it's like going. You know, so I'll be my own medical doctor just to diagnose. You know, yeah. you can't do it. So uh, surveys. So number one, they provide a wonderful insight. Uh, not only is it accurate if it's done well. Number one. I, as a coach then, understand how I'm impacting my athletes. And here's what's fascinating about that. Is so often there's a big gap between what a coach, how they think they're impacting their athletes and how it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Coaches will say, and I've, and I've heard it many, many times, I've got a great relationship with my student-athletes. But when you measure relationship of the student-athletes, which breaks down to number one, connection, and number two, psych safety, those two components comprise relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, not often are they as high as a coach thinks they will be. As a matter of fact, the ironic part of all the six themes that we measure, Tyler, the two lowest for coaches are connection and psychological safety. Yeah. So, you know, coaches have this not end of what I love is not that they don't care. They just assume that everybody trusts them, that everybody feels connected to them because they're their coach. Yeah. But so often they're not. So there's, there's number one, getting accurate data on how you impact the student athlete is one reason you survey and, and another reason is to give your student athletes a voice. Most definitely. To help them, to help them feel like they're part of what's going on. Um now some coaches I, I heard before a coach stood up one time say, Yeah, I don't feel like my my student athletes um are an accurate judgment of who I am or of what we do. I think they're, they're the, the most accurate most. Of, 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 of those things the they most are accurate. they are what you do. <laughs> yeah now what's interesting is sometimes coaches will assume that well for interviewing or serving our student athletes that means um, we got to do what they ask. Oh no 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 it doesn't at all mean that. you know if we're big proponents and one of the things we measure is challenge. Uh, I did a Ted talk on the need to be in a state of discomfort to grow. Yeah. And if you're not pushing student athletes in a healthy way, and when I say healthy, not fear-based, but if you're not pushing them in a healthy way, you're not, you're not propelling their growth. Yeah. You're, you're not getting as much discretionary effort out of student athletes as you could. Yeah. So it's getting accurate information. If I'm a coach, say, how do I grow as a coach? Well, I don't know. Cause I don't have data. This provides yeah. data. Number two, it's giving your student-athletes a voice, helping them feel included as part of the journey.
0: I mean, I remember doing a very unscientific survey of a a D1 college football team, and within there, we asked, did they want more or less accountability from the coaching staff? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that coaches probably feared. You put that on a survey, right? 65% wanted more accountability. Yeah. And it was like, like, it was like, they're asking for it, but you know, they don't think you're given enough and you think they're being, you know, and it was just
1: right. Exactly. Able to close a gap in our focus groups. um, We uh, were where we did student athletes, uh, teachers, um, coaches, uh, administration within, within schools. One of the things we found with the students, student athletes, especially, they wanted to be challenged Mm -hmm. and they didn't feel like they were being challenged enough. Mm -hmm. And that blew the coaches and the administration away. They they just couldn't, are you kidding me? You know? So, and again, their view of what being challenged is, which don't make challenge universal. You got to know me. This is where connection and psych safety comes right. Right? You got to know me because why I want to be challenged, Tyler, is probably different than the way you want to be challenged, right? Right, right. Because you might have a higher threshold in certain areas. You know, you may be uh, stronger mentally, uh, where I may be stronger physically. So, so it's knowing that.
0: Definitely, I think one of the ways, as you said, we we get to know that, and something you you highlight in the book. I think we made me reflect on different people I've worked for and the different meetings you've sat in. But uh, you talk about meetings. Um, mm-hmm. I want to get into one on one meetings here eventually, but before we do, I'm sure people listening have all sat through a meeting that like that could have been an email. Um, yeah. <laughs> but can you talk a little bit about when being effective, having you know that connection and trust, that psychological, safe thing? can you talk about how meetings play a role and then number 1 from your research what you find most managers and coaches get wrong about their meetings
1: uh so when we look at us especially now coming back to the business arena so it's kind of like there's there's certain things i do and certain things i say that make me effective to some varying degree as a coach or a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When we looked at what they did differently, so their activities, there's a ton of things that were endemic to really effective coaching. Um, But in order, number one was their feedback that they provided. Number two was they're holding one-on-one meetings with people on their teams. Yeah. Number three, um was uh doing having developmental discussions with them career developmental discussions and number 4 were having effective team meetings those were the top four things mm-hmm. um and the meetings themselves usually what happens it's a a coach or a leader or somebody who who holds an event to um I'm going to share my knowledge with you Tyler and you come to this meeting and I'll, you know, and you will be able to partake in my elevated knowledge as a coach of this team or a leader of this team, right? Sure. Um, and what we found out is when all I when I act as more of a facilitator and have the people on my team engage and interact and lead certain portions of the meeting, the meetings are perceived to be way more effective. And when the, I think they're more effective, guess what? I'm more likely to engage in them. I feel safer. I want to work harder for the team and I'll be more effective in my role. So, those are just kind of a nutshell on what makes effective team meetings.
0: I think there was, from a coaching lens, you know, I thought about one on one meetings and I think there's a lot of football teams we stick in our position groups. And a lot of teams I've worked with where you have a one-on-one meeting with your boss, your manager, your coach on an annual or biannual basis, usually in a student, it makes them pretty nervous. Um, But it's something we should be doing on a a bi-weekly or monthly basis with people so that a you're constantly getting quality feedback to learn where they're at. So, you know, you can create the connection and safe space. And then you know, there isn't this like, Oh, we have to have this one-on-one meeting. It has, it doesn't have a, a connotation of, of evaluation. It has a connotation of shared growth. Yeah. Very can, good. Can you explain just kind of some of the other things that you found are just powerful of just, you know, maybe diluting some time from group and big group meetings and, and just having a little bit more one-on-one with your, your key people.
1: Well, one-on-ones are the the second highest correlator to discretionary effort. Wow. I mean, they're, they're, they're a huge factor. Uh, and what's interesting in, the, in in business, probably 90% of the people that we research, leaders that we re- research do one-on-one meetings. And the world of sports, it's less than 50%, I believe, that actually do one-on-one meetings. And, and something that is so profoundly uh, impactful to the development of a student athlete and yet less than half coaches actually do them Mm -hmm. and then doing them effectively is a whole nother, uh, component to it. Uh, we like to see in the world of sports that coaches start one-on-one meetings along with goal setting, what, uh, you know, to have people fill in smart goals. To have them write down what do they see as the role this season, yeah. you know, on the team? Um, what are their strengths? Have them have them list their strengths as a teammate and list two areas where they want to improve as a as an as a student athlete, you know, and then for a coach to be able to sit down and have a one, one-on-one meeting and talk through those and ask questions. One of the biggest complaints players have or excuse me, student-athletes have is lack of playing time, right? Sure. It's my, it's my PT, right? I, I, yeah. I'm i not getting enough PT. Yeah. Here's what we find interesting. When effective one-on-one meetings that coaches have with uh, student-athletes, when that topic is discussed in one-on-one meetings, the complaints go down. Parents don't get as involved. So, having effective one-on-one meetings in the athletic world is so um, is just so far behind. Mm-hmm. Now, to coaches' defense, Tyler, it is it's it's tough. The, the, the kind of the difference between what we see good or great coaching and great to elite coaching is yeah. pretty. That gap's pretty small. Sure. But to close that gap, it's things like this that need to occur where it takes a lot more time for a coach, whether I'm a defensive coordinator or a linebackers coach or a volleyball coach or track coach to sit down with each athlete and do that. That takes a lot of time. Yeah. But the impact is so profound.
0: I think it's interesting in the, in the business world, they always seem to have such a greater sense of the cost of turnover than sometimes in the athletics world. We we think yeah because they're on our campus they're on our team they trust they're here, um but now in today's day and age with athletes it, it you know it takes a lot more to build that culture but I think it is a time saver because when you invest in your people you're not trying to have to reestablish trust with a complete stranger, and I think co- yeah it, coaching world could learn you know the cost of turnover is extremely high in business. And I think we're starting to see some of the shock of it in college athletics a little bit, but I always kind of point to, I think, you know, creating safe spaces and connections are those, you know, foundational culture things that are going to keep people engaged, keep them, keep them performing for you. You know, um,
1: Tyler, you're and I and I can't let that one go because you're so spot on um, the ability of a coach to connect in a trust-based way and to create a psychologically safe environment without those in place, everything else can't happen. You, you will never be a high-growth, high high-performing high coach if you can't have those in place. And the beautiful part, and, and I'll throw one of the very few plugs as well for, for what we do. The beautiful part about what we do is we can quantify that. Yeah. And coaches have never, ever been able to see before that their their ability to connect or create psych safety, psychologically safe environments can now be quantified.
0: Let's talk about that. Well, thank you. You make me my, tell my teachers when I was young, my reading comprehension has gone way up because I, I felt like when you said I had it spot on, I said, I read the book well, right? <laughs> um, I, un- I understood my, the book pretty good. Uh, but the quantifying measurement, and I think that's where you move into really starting to poke at coaches because they know their numbers. And I I always tell kids, you know, measurement is motivation when we're measuring the right things and we're using the numbers the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, But can you talk about some of the ways that you're able to quantify things for coaches to help them close those gaps?
1: Yeah. uh, So there are two two separate uh, components to that. Uh, To quantify it, number one, number two, to close the gap. Uh, The first one actually is a lot easier than the second Tyler mm-hmm. to quantify it, it is now pretty easy. Let me rephrase that. It's very challenging, but once you get it established, it can be pretty consistent and ongoing. And when we work with our, our schools and coaches and athletic directors, it just becomes kind of a consistent thing where the measurement itself, the quantification itself is done through surveys. It's uh, uh surveying, student-athletes, in an effective way. When I say effective way, there has to be disciplines around how that's done. It can't be, it shouldn't be at the end of the season. It shouldn't be at the end of the year. There's certain windows of time, these measurements, these surveys should be conducted to get the most accurate and effective feedback. So the way to quantify it is through a predictive science-based survey instrument, number one. Number two, the... To, to close the loop, to get better. So, if my psych safety score is a 62 on a scale of one to 100, and I'm looking at that going, oh my gosh, that's not acceptable. What do I do to close the gap? And this is where behavior, this is all about then behavior change. And I find it interesting because coaches ask student athletes to get a little better every day they're in the gym, don't they? All the time and you can write every day just a little bit better but how do coaches get better yeah are they walking that are they walking that talk yeah can they actually you know so that's what measurement does is it helps them understand where should I direct my own personal development um to give you an example uh someone whose connection scores were lower and when we study, here's an example, When we study um, really high performing coaches, coaches that really have a strong impact on student athlete experience, that are really memorable coaches, the, the kind of coaches where student athletes look back 20 years later and go, man, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without that coach in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, those coaches, so Coach A, while the athletes are doing stretching, for example, Coach A, the lower performing coach, Sits and gabs with his other coaches, talks about what they did the weekend. You know, just do kind of connecting and doing stuff with their other coaches. Yep. Coach B, high performing coach, starts walking in and out of the student athletes, stopping and talking as they're going. Think literally things like, "Hey, um, how's that new puppy working out?" <laughs> you know, uh, stop. I, I watched others. She stopped. She she was asking, "Hey, I know your uh, grandfather was sick last week. How's he doing now?" Yeah. You know it's their engagement. They took every minute of practice to do something very intentional and and and, and mm-hmm. do it after practice. But during practice, find ways to connect with your student athletes. Be intentional about every minute of every practice. Yeah, I love the. So that's a way to improve using that as an example. And and we've got, we've created an online portal Tyler, where coaches can go in and test out of things and, you know, learn from other coaches and so on and so forth.
0: Tell me what you see in your experience. A lot of times when I talk to coaches or student athletes, you know, and ask them who their toughest critic is, they're not shy to raise their own hand really fast. And then when you ask them to do some self-assessing, eh we get a little reluctant sometimes, but I think when you can tap into it, that comp- athletes and coaches have that competitive nature. And I think sometimes just finding that score it is good. Cause like in your coach example, I don't need you to go from 62 to hundred overnight. I need you to work on going from 62 to 70. And I think sometimes we get, we get intimidated by our, our, our self assessments instead of just focusing on, what's, the, where do I need to get next?
1: Exactly. Like,
0: and do, do you see that sometimes of also like kind of at least getting them on
1: a path to closing that gap? of? Oh, absolutely, Tyler. And you said that so well, uh, if it's, if, you know, you, you can't get a point guard uh, that can't go left and, and, and then expect all of a sudden overnight, you know, to be as proficient going left as they are right. right. Um, so if it's all about incremental gains Uh, with both student-athletes as well as coaches. We just had to change a little little bit. In that example I gave about a coach, instead of gabbing with other coaches, walking around the gym in between your student-athletes and engaging them while they're stretching is a way to do it. You know, there are so many things we can be intentional about that can take us from a 62 to a 68 to a 72 the next year to a 76 the following, you know. Um, now, we've seen coaches make astronomical jumps as well, but that's typically not what we shoot for or, or they should shoot for. Um, but there's also one thing you mentioned earlier that I feel like I have to address because you brought it up a couple of times is the right survey instrument is a developmental tool. It is not a big brother looking over your shoulder. It is not something to impugn. It's not something to evaluate you. It is an opportunity for you as a coach. That is your coaching game film is what it is. And it's an opportunity for a coach to say, oh, I see it. Now I have a starting point. I see my strengths. I see my opportunities for improvement to use that. Used any other way, shame on schools if they're doing it any other way than that. It should only be used as a developmental growth tool, just like a coaches or game to a student athlete. This can be a coach's game. Okay.
0: Do a whole nother podcast on kids getting psyched out by evaluations at a young age. I was probably one of those, the Iowa test of basic skills, man, keep it away. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, and, you and I may have gone to the same school, Tyler. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in Iowa. So, you know, um, well, one, one last question I, I really enjoyed reading your book and hearing from you directly. And uh what brings you two parts? You know, what fascinates you about the work that you're doing with coaches and businesses? And then what brings you the most joy in doing it? Wow.
1: Thank you for even asking that question. Um, I've, I, I, you know, if we all have our, our little things, I remember as a kid, you know, I've played so many sports my whole life uh, growing up and as A young man, I always found it fascinating. So I grew up in Nebraska. um, And I grew up, uh, most of my Husker football memories are with Coach Osborne as coach. And I remember always wondering, how can a school like Nebraska, you know, why not North Dakota? Why not Wyoming? Why not, you know, Iowa? What what was so unique about Nebraska for this 30-year stretch or 40-year stretch, depending on how long you want to measure it? um why could they do it and to me it always came back to the coach and I used to spend as much time watching coach Osborne when I had the opportunity how he behaved as the players on the field and as teams the teams always take on the culture of that coach when a coach you know, cannot handle pressure, when a coach explodes under pressure, when a coach, you know, is at their worst in the in the tightest of moments, their teams are usually that way too. When the coaches are calm and collected and, you know, under times of pressure, their teams usually handle it that way too. So that that's always fascinated me. And what I love most about it is the recipients. It, it's the student-athletes. Can you imagine our world, Tyler, if every student-athlete from college down to middle school, I take it on grade school, first grade soccer, I don't care where you start, if every young adult or young person had a coach that was focused on, number one, the experience of that athlete, not winning or losing, and number two, making sure that experience was top-notch. Imagine what would happen, the trickle down effect of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of kids in today, healthier adults, healthier communities, um, uh, more more giving, more accepting, more performance. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate, educate, Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go Elevate Others.